48 hour art check. Best of podcast. Today, Josh and I discuss why it's hard to move forward on projects when there's no clear path and there's no instructions. The 48-hour art check goes live on YouTube three times a week on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 9 p.m. Pacific time. We'd love to have you there live in the chat, or you can listen to it right here, right now. Make sure to leave a review. So today, for the topic, I was thinking of... It's been something that I've been thinking of a little bit because... Um, I've watched some students over the past couple weeks and I've actually made a video or two on this recently because of this, but I've watched some students over the last couple weeks um, really struggle to have initiative uh, when there isn't clear instructions. And so uh, in, in any situation, you take a, you take a 20-something year old and, uh, and you give them a situation where it's like, here's the step-by-step clear process. They're very used to doing that. But if you say, here's this big far off goal that's way out there um, and you're here, uh, figure out what what you're going to do and go do it. They usually freeze. It's very seldom in my experience that they don't freeze. And so I thought that might be kind of an interesting topic because most of the people that are our age um, that have been creating for a little while uh, or longer have gotten to the point where um, that that feels more like an opportunity than an obstacle because if that happens to me, I go, okay, great, let's figure this out. And you just kind of sit down and you just kind of like blaze your trail, like whatever the trail is. If there's a if you're trying to get higher, you you build the ladder. You don't look for the ladder. You just build it out of whatever you've got. You screw it up a little bit here. You take pieces of what you screwed up and you use that to kind of build more rungs and like you just kind of build it as you go. Um, whereas that seems to be a really, really difficult process to get to with, um, I, I think experience has a lot to do with it, and, I, and I'm not exactly sure why, and I'm not sure if youth has something to do with it or not, but it seems like those two things are like one of the main consistent factors in people who just really struggle taking initiative in the face of ambiguity. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I, I do think that is one of those cases where I think our education system is a little bit to blame because I think that there's a lot of rote learning that's taught like early on in schools where it's like you, um, it's, it's, it's like all classes, including the humanities are taught, um, at at a level that's like a a basic math class where it's like you just kind of memorize the equations and you memorize the answers or the best example I can think of is like an art history class, which I don't know if they've ever really changed the formats where a lot of it's just like memorizing dates and names. And, um, you know, the better art history teachers you have will kind of focus on like concepts and broader themes and movements that were happening historically at the time when the art was created, because those are kind of the things that actually matter a little more than like in 1633, you know? Yeah. Um, so, uh, but I do think rote learning kind of damages people a lot. And, and I, I, I did notice that teaching, um, I've mentioned this before, but there were a couple teachers I taught with that would teach kind of akin to like, you know, what, what you could get just watching like video tutorials. And that was it. That was the right. extent of the courses. And so um, when, I, when I started teaching at the school I was teaching at, students would have a little bit of difficulty because I wouldn't give them 
the step by step. Right. I would kind of um, review the tools, what they do, um, how to use them, what the shortcuts are, and then I would be like, okay, let's make this thing. And they'd be like, well, how do I do that? And it's like, well, you've got the tools, <laughs> you yeah. know. And you'd, I'd kind of guide them along the way. So um, while they were exploring, they could like learn the right questions to ask. Yeah. And um, it, 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 I do think it freaks people out because people are conditioned. I mean, this is my own theory, but I think people in the U.S. are very conditioned to kind of blindly follow, to follow authority because it's the authority um, to kind of do the steps, the the 10 steps to success or the five. I mean, you look at our culture and it's like that with books, like our, our you know, our, if you look at like the best selling, you know, motivational books, they're always like the five steps to success, like yeah. the, the four steps, like everybody wants like really clearly spelled out steps. Um, and I think, so, so I think it's partially our, our schooling system. I don't know if you agree with that. No, I, that I do. I think, I think we, we built the, our education system. Our current education system is built. Um, and, and I've done, I've done whole videos and lectures and stuff on this. So I'll just, I'll just go over it in like two seconds. But the current education system is really built on um, needing robots, but not being able to build robots. And so like we needed factory workers that could do stuff over and over and over again. And so what we did is we taught people how to be robotic and that has stuck. And so we actually teach people that if you, um, if you do exactly what you're told and follow the instructions and press all the right buttons and pull all the right levers in the right order, that you're going to be successful, but that's, that's not the case. So, so here's, here's my question because this is, this is the but part, like, would, sorry, go ahead. Would you say that, would you say that maybe people should do things that robots can't? I, sh I do say that. I almost wish I had like a screen graphic or something that I could pull up. But yeah, people should do things that robots can't. Mm -hmm. um, they should even get a t-shirt that says that on Corey's <laughs> site. Anyhow. So, um, so, yeah. so, here's, so here's my question. So this is what I've been trying to figure out. I'm trying to figure out like a lot of people that we know, um, you know, and a lot of people that are frankly watching this video um, are the type of people who in the face of unclear instructions... They write their own instructions. In the face of, of no clear path, they blaze one. Um, you know, in the face in the in the face of like an obstacle, they, they get out their chisel and they carve a set of stairs into the into the obstacle and just climb over it. What I'm what I'm curious about, and this is this is selfish, but as a teacher, I want to know what it is that does that, right? What what are the steps that you take to be able to identify how to move forward when there's no clear path forward? Because what I would like to do is I would like to be able to teach, uh, you know, students who don't know how to do this, like, listen, here's what you need to do. Rather than just, I, I don't think this is good advice. Just like, well, just buckle down and do it. You know, just pull yourself up by the bootstraps and just get to, you know, nose to the grindstone. Because I don't think it's only effort. I think there's... Yeah. There's kind of a thought process that goes along with it. So, and yeah. I haven't I haven't really been able to like figure out how to teach how to close that gap. I know how to do it, but but I haven't processed it enough to be able to explain it out loud. Do you have, do you have any thoughts on like what it is that makes it so that some people can just move forward when there's no clear instructions and other people freeze? Well, I mean, I think there's different, I mean, th there's a couple things. Like I was saying about rote learning, that's one. I think another is that um, I think that it's a much easier 
task if you know um, if you know every step uh, of the process. It's so you, a much easier task. It, it requires a lot less intense thought, yeah. and there's less risk of failure because if you follow step one, step two, step three, step four, um, and and you follow it, and it's rote learning. It's like you you could hardly fail as long as you follow the steps. And, and if you do um, fail, it's the fault of the instructions and not your fault. Exactly, and or or maybe it's your fault for not clearly following the instructions. You know what I mean? But it's right. it's less of a risk. Like it, it's it's easier to identify success. It's easier to identify failure. It's easier to identify kind of a clear path forward. Um, I also think it's very restrictive. And so this is where I'm with you on like, I I think it's great. The idea of kind of teaching it. I'm not sure if you can teach, um, that I think the best method of teaching towards like creative problem solving, um, where you're kind of having to think outside of the box where you're thinking about a target and then you're kind of like reverse engineering your way back. Like, um, because I do think that's where it starts from is, is having a clear objective, I think, is very important. Whether it's your own personal project or not, just having some sense of objective, some, um, like, you know, you, you get in your car, you have an idea of which restaurant you want to go to. Um, See, I'm the type of person who gets in the car and drives to the part of town that has the most restaurants because I haven't decided mm-hmm. yet. And then I just kind of like snake through town until something looks good and I'm, I'm realizing that's actually how I do my projects as well is I don't have a clear plan of how to do it but I'm just like well I'm going to jump in and start drawing a page and let's figure this thing out as we go I don't know what I'm doing and so I, I wonder but I think I, I think that's a method and I think even there um, just having an idea of a part of town where there are a lot of restaurants yeah is a, is a nice objective just and I mean, I mean, you have an objective to get there that's why I got on Twitter I mean, I got on Twitter mm-hmm. because I was like, oh, there's a lot of a lot of comic book illustrators and writers on Twitter, and I don't know anything about anything, and so I'm just going to, like, go start talking to people. And so I just got on Twitter and started saying, hey, so, uh, yeah. what are you doing? <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me, like, eavesdrop on this conversation you're having and see what I can glean from it and whatnot. Yeah, so what, what I think the common thread is is that I think a lot of people who are making things um, – by nature are doing those things. So, and, and most of the people who follow our channel or are in our social media circles are, are makers Yeah. and makers don't tend to be, in my experience, the type of people who wait for the path to be clearly paved. Um, you know, most, most professional artists I know, like, it, you know, if you waited, um, the time I got into the industry, there, there weren't like a lot of like YouTube, how to get into the industry kind of things. We were just hungry. We had the objective of like getting paid work. And then we just tried everything, everything, like anything that we could to try to kind of break through and get like a little crack in that wall. That's like preventing us from getting work. Um, And I, I think that's a common thread with like people who start their own businesses with people who do things that aren't preset. And it's a hard thing to know whether it's teachable or not, because it is one of those things where um, when I was teaching the method of teaching I, w- I would do, um, there, there would be occasionally some kids that just, they were just hungry and it's like they came in a hungry and that hunger 
would drive their curiosity to kind of find solutions yeah. and find the path and ask the right questions and stuff like that. So the method I'd take to try to kind of bring that out on kids and I'm, I'm not good at it. I'm not perfect at it, but I always tried to be kind of Socratic because I think a lot of how you teach that kind of thinking is you don't deliver answers easily. Instead you give the right questions that will kind of lead the students to kind of discover the answer. Even if you're maybe asking some pretty obvious questions and you know exactly what's going to solve it, um, they're going to, they're going to retain it. And they're also going to start creating more pathways to kind of get to their objectives. If they're not being just hand like force fed or spoon fed um, uh, answers. And I, I think that's one of the problems, once again, with with uh, with the way that we're raised and the way that society is. I think that it it would be good for us to kind of encourage um, more questions, more more like, why don't you solve it, kind of things. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if that's really the best answer, but I do think that kind of leads to a more creative and conducive environment for people to like start to kind of problem solve. Yeah. But I would say most of it comes with just a a few things. I'd say one is the question of like well how? Like so you have like you come up with an objective. Maybe it's a loose objective. Like I need to get to a part of town that has a lot of restaurants. You know? Yeah. And then I'll pick while I'm there. So how do I get there? Like that's a good start. Is like how am I going to get to that part of town with right. the restaurants? And then um, you know, what tools do I need to get there? Uh, and then also more important questions, you know, along the way, like, are there simpler ways to get there? Are there, are there simple, simpler paths to arrival? Um, you know, is it worth going there? You know, like there's a lot of questions that I think are really vital that can kind of guide you along, along the way. Um, and then of course being really humble enough to ask questions, which is huge. Yeah. Um, because I, I do think pride can actually prevent people from kind of going into that mode of thinking. That's more the, the creative problem solving method of thinking instead of the rote learning where you're just waiting for, you know, um, some, somebody to just give you the answer. But yeah, there's, yeah. there's kind of, on the, on the one hand there's pride and on the other hand there's fear. Um, mm-hmm. And it's almost, it's almost like you you need a portion of pride and fear, but you you don't need a full portion. Like you don't need a full serving of either one, because then it becomes problematic. But if you sit in the middle of that, and you're you're scared enough to to know that you lack something, and so that kind of knocks down the pride enough, but you are confident enough in your abilities that you know that you can get it done. You just don't know how yet. Somewhere in the yeah. middle between pride and fear is kind of that is kind of that sweet spot where you can move forward i i know i know this and i think this is what i'm looking for we're over time so we can we can wrap this up and maybe carry this on in another discussion but um if i'm writing the class if i've written the class i know i know that i can get people to do it because the trick is i just set exceptionally high expectations i show them examples over and over and over again this is how it can be done this, these are students that have done it in the past so that they can relate to the people accomplishing it. Um, and then I set super high expectations and I just tell them it's on, it's on you. It's completely on you. 
And, uh, and those high expectations plus examples of success almost always equals uh, them just working super hard. And it's a really interesting concept because um, I, teach, I teach one class that is, that is like this and they just finished this project where they're doing a, a photorealistic illustration and illustrator of a, of a watch. And, uh, and it's amazing what they can do because they, like three weeks ago, had never touched Illustrator before. And then in, they, have, they have a couple weeks of training and then they jump in and immediately start doing this fairly difficult thing. And it's just because they can see that it's possible they know that the expectations are super high, so they're going to have to work hard because they don't know what they're doing. And almost all of them just, they put in like in two weeks, they put in like 25 to 30 hours in this project and, yeah. uh, and get it done. You know, and there's, there's always a couple that, that, that don't. But um, so I know if, if you can structure the action, the actual application of that work, um, that, it, that it works. And I know that formula works. It's just, you know that you can do it. You're not sure how yet, but you know that with enough effort, you can you can kind of move in that direction if you know where to find answers and things like that. Uh, the the problem that I have is if I'm not if it's just a conversation I'm having, I don't know what to tell someone. And and, and now that I'm saying this out loud, I don't think I don't think there are magic words. I think there's just directed action. You you figure out the best yeah. direction to go, and you you go that way until it doesn't work, and then go a different way. Yeah, and I think um, I, I think I, I think the the reason that a lot of teachers kind of go with the the step one do this, step two do this, that kind of method of teaching, is um, is that it, it it's a lot more black and white, and yeah. the result is a lot more black and white. So it's safer to teach too, and the risk is a lot less when you right. teach it because you know you're not going to have students asking like some really weird questions that make you have to think and yeah and what what i discovered by teaching kind of more socratically was that i would learn a lot more in that way as well as the students because they would come with curveball questions that i didn't know the answer to right and because they would try to achieve an objective i wouldn't have even thought to achieve in it yeah in, in this like whatever the assignment was and and so um to me, that's kind of the fun of it, too, is the fact that it's more surprising. Um, and self-directed work, self-motivated work is always, I think, going to be more authentic. And I, I think that's the kind of work that people will work like 20 hours. You know, a student will work 25 hours on. Right. Whereas I think if you do the step one, do this, step two, you'll have the one or two A students that work 20 plus hours on everything. Yeah. work on it but the majority of the class will phone it in do the steps get the grade and move on yeah and so it's it's one of those things of um it's a fascinating uh idea and, and i'm not quite sure because thinking about myself i'm not quite sure what drives me to do that but i've always like most of my life have been the type of person who when i start hearing step one do this step two do this i want to like rip apart the paper i want to like you know yeah. overthrow the the system and and um but when i'm giving the opportunity of like hey we need this solution um how do we get there like that to me is 
way more engaging and interesting and can kind of um, send me down rabbit holes. I mean, it's it's great. So yeah. I think that's it's it's a weird topic and it's a weird thing to discuss because it's not black and white. And I think like a lot of things, really worth pursuing. Um, you know, the the path gets a little muddier. <laughs> To me, that's a lot more interesting. Yeah, Um, for sure. But it's so important to build those skills. It's good that you're doing that with your students because without that skill, to be able to have ambiguous direction and kind of succeed at achieving a goal, I think without that ability, you're going to have a hard press time getting into art because I think if you watch a bunch of YouTube videos and you watch kind of like somebody's path to success and you reverse engineer it and you just follow it as if it's a handbook, you might be very sorely disappointed because, because the path isn't always the same for everyone. And, um, so I think you need a little bit of the ability to kind of think on your feet, kind of self-correct, um, to kind of catch yourself and be like, okay, well this worked for so-and-so but it's not working for me or finding quicker ways yeah um, like it took this long to do this but i could do this and it would be twice as quick um it's just one of those things like i I think it's an essential skill to build and just it i guess what i'm saying it's hard is like I'm, i'm trying to think if if for myself like if that was something that was taught or if that was something that's just been kind of ingrained in me and my personality because I like solving problems. I think that's part of why I love design and love illustration because it's like, and and particularly comics because if, if you can think of anything in art that's one of the hardest puzzles to solve, it, I think it's cartooning. Yeah. Um, because it's just endless. It's it's like right. a Pandora's box of just possibility. So, um, you can find my work at quarterlystories.com. You can also go to tapas.io and search for quarterly stories and add it to your library there. You can find Corey's work, including the aforementioned t-shirt, at (laughs) coreyker.com. And you should do things that robots can't. It's a really cool design. Sonic Boom! Thanks for listening. I wanted to ask you a quick favor. This is a new podcast, as you know, and every review really, really helps. And so if you could leave a review on iTunes, um, that just means that there's going to be more people listening to this and we can do more cool things. So if you get a chance, please, right now, go give us a five-star review on iTunes. That would be super, super helpful. Um, Anything you can do to share this podcast would be great. And if you can, join us live on YouTube, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 9 p.m. California time. Um, on Josh's channel and my channel. You can check us out at coreykerr.com slash 48HR. Fatality.